Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. So last, last Sunday evening, I was sitting at home and I was thinking about the fact that we were about to head into a three-day corporate fast as a church. And the thought occurred to me, you know, there's a half carton of ice cream sitting in my freezer over there. And there's, there's a chance that that could go bad over the next three days. And if, if I'm being honest, if we're all being honest here, if I left it in there, that's really just setting myself up for failure in this whole fast thing. So I, I did the only responsible thing, and I went and I grabbed that carton, grabbed a spoon, no bowl necessary in this operation, and I eliminated the threat. <laughs> and as I dug into it and I tasted the ribbons of caramel and the salty, sweet toffee crunch in there and the velvety vanilla ice cream, I closed my eyes and thought to myself, God is good. <laughs> That's right. And you may think I'm being facetious, but I would, continue with the, I would contend to you that a God who creates a world that contains caramel toffee crunch ice cream is a good and loving God. And there have been religions and philosophies out there who think that things of the spirit are good and all things of the earth are bad. But I would, t- I would argue with you that a lot of those philosophies, they miss the true nature of God. They miss the goodness of God. And if you don't believe me, just look at creation around us. When he created the world, he took Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden. And he could have just said, okay, here's a Fred tree and it grows Fred fruit and it tastes okay, I guess. And so this is how you're going to get all of your nutritional supplement for everything you need. But instead, it said he filled the garden with every good fruit to eat, every good plant to eat. And he built us in a way where as the food approaches us, we begin to smell it and our nose sends a signal to our tongue. And when it reaches our mouth, there's all these receptors in there that pick up the texture and the temperature and all the flavors, the sweet, salty, bitter, umami, all the, and the way they blend together and the way they interact with each other and it triggers emotions and memories in our brain. And then look at the world around us. It could have been simple and flat and gray, but instead he gave us mountains and rivers and beaches and flowers. And he gave us bodies that when the light comes into our eyes, it's interpreted into colors and images. And when you look up at the sky with those eyes at night, you see all these multitude of stars that take your breath away. And when you look beyond what your naked eye can see, there's more and there's more and there's more. And the Do you ever think about the fact that God could have made creation so exceedingly simple that we could quickly understand it very, very easily? But instead, he built it with a marvelous complexity and he planted inside us curiosity and wonder where all these millennia later, we are still discovering new things about God's creation. We're still discovering new things about this universe. And it fills us with awe and wonder. Think about the way that we interact with people the ability to feel affection with, for one another, the ability to smile, encourage, the warmth of a hug, the intimacy and pleasure of marriage. None of these things were necessary, but he created them anyways. Just like a good parent wants good things for their children, God filled a creation with things that will give us pleasure 
and joy. Everything we have is a gift from his hand. That breath you just took, it's a gift. The smile you can see on your, your daughter's face, it's a gift. The taste of a blueberry, the squeeze of your spouse's hand, the smell and warmth of a fire, it's a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. But while that's certainly true, I don't think that the word gift truly captures the nature and the full beauty of what it is. I think a more appropriate word is one that we normally reserve for things like communion and baptism, because I would argue that all of creation is a sacrament, that it infers a blessing or a grace on all of us who receive it, and it is meant to point us towards God. I say that because over and over again, the language of creation is, how, is what Jesus used to describe himself. He used objects of creation to help us to understand, to draw us deeper into his love. He'd say, I am the light of the world. I am the vine. I'm the water, the friend. He used the language of creation to draw us in. I think the way we see it most clearly is that when he talks about the bread and the wine, the way he used those things to point us to the creator, to draw us into the love of God. And we see it in Luke 24, when he encounters the men on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection. He's visiting with them. He's talking with them. But it's not until he breaks the bread and hands it to them that they see him for who he really is. And then he's like, poof, I'm gone, <laughs> which is really crazy. To me. But creation reveals to us. It points us to the God who loves us, who cares for us, who satisfies us, and who wants to draw us deeper into participation, deeper into relationship with him. And C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, which is about a senior demon writing letters to his nephew demon about how to deal with these humans on earth. He, C.S. Lewis writes, uh, he, God, has filled his world full of pleasures. There are things for humans to do all day long without his minding in the least. Sleeping, washing, eating, drinking, making love, playing, praying, working. Everything has to be twisted before it's any use to us. We fight under cruel disadvantages. Nothing is naturally on our side. And that's a really cool thought, that everything has to be twisted to, in order for the evil one to use it against us. But that's kind of where their problem lies, too. It makes me think about, back in high school, I worked at a place called the Bible Factory Outlet, which is, think like Lifeway, Mardell kind of place. They got Bibles and commentaries, Christian inspiration, they got Amish fiction for the women. And then there was a, a t-shirt section, and you'd have stuff like a breadcrumb and fish instead of Abercrombie and Fitch, or Heavenly Divine Son instead of Harley Davidson, or one's really clever. We had one, just said, Satan is a poo-poo head, because we're... <laughs> It's like we're keeping it classy at the Bible Factory Outlet. Um, but then you go over to the music section, there's this poster on the wall. And it had, in column A, it had a list of secular bands. And in column B, it had a list of Christian bands. And the theory was, if you like this band in column A, you're going to love this band in column B. <laughs> and so you had the obligatory ones, like, if you love you too, you're going to love Delirious. Or if you like corn, you're going to like P.O.D. And so I would go and I'd consult that poster and figure out what would be a good comparison for the bands that I'm really into. And keep in mind, 
we had internet when I was in high school, but it wasn't the thing that we have now. So if there's a band you were curious about, you couldn't just go pull up Spotify or YouTube. You had to buy the album and just cross your fingers. <laughs> and so you can imagine <laughs> my consternation when I'm looking for a good Dave Matthews band comp <laughs> and I come home with some Phillips Craig and Dean. <laughs> I mean, Mercy, coming around, Mercy Came Around and has a great message, okay? It's a, when you're looking for a five-piece rock jam band, <laughs> there's no way it can satisfy. When I looked to Phillips, Craig, and Dean to fill that need, I was always going to come away disappointed. And when we take things that are good and we try to use them to replace the things that our soul really long for, we are always going to come away disappointed. And we take what's good, what should be a sacrament pointing us towards God, and we let it get twisted. It either gets twisted to a point where it's dark and it no longer points us to the Father, or we twist it in a way so that we can try and fit it on the seat of glory and as to what is going to satisfy us, as what is going to be the solution to our problems. And with a twisting of the pleasures, we come to chase the created instead of the Creator. And when we lose sight of the purpose of the created, when we elevate it over the creator, it, that pleasure becomes its own dead end. But over and over and over again, we fall into that same trap. And I think it happens most frequently whenever we encounter trouble or pain or stress. And that's going to be a problem for us because in John 15, Jesus said that in this world, you will have trouble. Not, it's not a maybe. It's not some of you are going to have trouble. It's you're going to have trouble. We live in a fallen world, and in it we're going to face things that are hard. We're going to face things that cause us fear and uncertainty. And Jesus doesn't tell us this to bum us out. What he follows it with is, is but take heart, for I have overcome the world. He's saying, I've got this. I can overcome any problem you encounter. God has been trying to reassure, reassure us from the very beginning of time. When the creation narrative was written, one of the greatest fears for people at the time was the sea. And neighboring mythologies would say that their gods had created these great sea monster, monsters that lived there that were bent on vengeance and destruction. But when you read through the creation narrative, God's very intentional there. He says, I put limits on the sea. And I created the great sea creatures. And he looked at his creation and he said, it is good. He's saying, I have dominion over all of this. Your greatest fear is I am greater. I can handle it. And while pain, it can be a curse, it can also be viewed as a blessing. Think about if you unknowingly walked over to the stove and you put your hand on a burner and you didn't know it was on. Pain makes you aware so that you can pull your hand away and you can react and address the situation and not damage yourself further. I was reading a story about a guy who was suffering from ALS and he'd reached the point in the, in the disease where he couldn't really move his extremities and he had a crawling pain through them all constantly, all day long. And the doctors came to him with an option. They said that they could isolate the nerve clusters that were causing the pain, and they could go up to the root of them at the spinal cord and snip it, and it would eliminate the pain. And you think, well, why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you automatically say, yes, please eliminate the pain? 
But if he did that, he would no longer be able to feel when his skin was rubbing raw, or when he was putting too much pressure on one part of his body, or when a bed sore was starting to rise to the surface. And a bed sore, when it becomes infected, can kill somebody in less than seven days. The pain kept him aware. It kept him attuned to his body, to the places where he needed treatment. And it's often the same with us, whether it's physical pain or emotional pain. It doesn't matter. It makes us aware we have something that needs to be addressed. When viewed in that light, pain can be an invitation to enter into the divine love of the Creator, to receive healing and redemption. Unfortunately, far too often we don't recognize that invitation, or we just refuse it altogether. We refuse it out of shame because we think we're not worthy of His love. We refuse it because of a scarcity mindset, or thinking that we can't trust Him with it. We refuse it for a myriad of reasons, and instead we choose to chase the created things rather than running into the arms of the God of love. We take these created things and we use them as a mask for our pain, a distraction or to get some measure of relief. But all of these things, they may deal with the symptoms, but they're never going to deal with the root. At the end of the day, when the salve wears off, when the lights stop blinking, we find that the pain is still there, the fear is still there, the insecurity, the loneliness, they are all waiting to creep back in. So what do we do? We keep tapping that button to get some relief, to get that distraction, to get that comfort, that pleasure. Pain, button, temporary relief. Stress, button, temporary relief. Fear, button, temporary relief. And as we do that, we begin to train our brains. So when I feel this way, I'm going to turn to this and I'm going to get that relief. I'm going to get that hit of relief. And over time, you effectively And over time, you effectively build a synaptic highway to where you no longer have to think about it, where you're, it's so ingrained in you that whenever I have this stimulus, whenever I have this feeling, I automatically go there. And when you don't go there, you start feeling a longing for it. There's no longer the question of, am I using this created thing in a way that honors God, in a way that's consistent with his kingdom? We begin to feel stress. You know what makes me feel a little bit less stressed? Alcohol does. Jesus turned water into wine. Paul told Timothy to have a little wine. Alcohol is not inherently a bad thing. Over time, though, when you say, this is the answer to my stress, this is the answer to my stress, this is the answer to my stress, you're no longer asking the questions. Am I using this in a way where I'm damaging the body I'm stewarding? When I'm using this, am I making choices to put myself and others at risk? When I use this, how am I treating those around me? We begin to feel insecurity. You know what makes me feel better about that for a little bit? A new shirt, a new pair of shoes, a new gadget, a new car. Buying things is not bad. It's how our economy works. But over time, though, when we say, this is my answer to insecurity, This is my answer to insecurity. We quit asking the questions. Am I being a good steward of my resources? How does making this buying buying choice impact my ability to give generously? 
how do I reconcile this with what the Bible has to say about debt? We begin to feel lonely. You know what makes me feel a little less lonely? Sex. Sex is a good thing, right? God invented it. It's his idea. So you turn to it in whatever manner it's available to you. But over time, you say, this is my answer to loneliness. You stop asking the question, is the way I'm using sex consistent with God's plan for my sexuality? When I sleep with this person, go to that website, am I viewing and treating them like an image bearer of God? How is my use of sex impacting those that I'm in relationship with? We begin to feel scared. What if someone tries to take something from me? What if someone comes and tries to harm me or someone I care about? You know what makes me feel a little less scared about that happening? If I own a gun. And God has given us the ability to create tools, and tools are a good thing, and they are used for a wide variety of purposes. But when we over and over again say, this is the answer for my fear, this is the answer for my fear, this is the answer for my fear, we no longer ask the questions, is there anything I own that's worth more than the life of an image bearer of God? How do I reconcile this with loving my enemies? Which is the worst scenario, a believer in Jesus entering the arms of the creator or ending the life of someone who is far from the Lord? And y'all, I'm not up here saying whether you should or shouldn't own guns or whether you should or shouldn't drink alcohol or anything. It's not, that's not the point. And I'm not here to answer the questions for you. What I'm saying is examine your heart. Have I let this created thing become a counterfeit solution to a problem I should be bringing to the Lord? Have I put my faith in this thing so wholly and so repeatedly and possibly even unknowingly where I, there's no longer any mindfulness in how I interact with it? And I'm no longer asking, how does this reflect the heart of God? How does this reflect the kingdom? How does this impact my neighbor? And I would bet that if we did an honest inventory, Almost everyone in here could find some area of their life where they are doing this. So what do we do with that? Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul says that we have the ability to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And the scientists nowadays agree with that. They agree with this assertion. God created us with something called neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity. Um, which is the brain's ability to reorganize itself by forming new neural connections through life. So even though we've built these synaptic superhighways, our brains have the ability to build new ones. Right? So we were able to say, no, in the past, whenever I felt this way, I confess I've been prone to wander to lesser loves, to created things. And Lord, I repent of that, and instead I'm going to bring it to you. God, I invite you into my pain, my stress. I invite you into my fear and my loneliness. Help me to see the root of it and what lies I'm believing. God, I trust you are good enough and powerful enough to handle anything I bring to you. So if you just say that once, you should be good. 
Probably not. I believe, I've heard, I, I believe that God can come in powerfully and he can break something off in an instant, but I don't think that that's the experience for most of us. It, when we started this series about strengthening your core, I, see if anybody else did this. How many of you got to the house and you were looking in the mirror? Like, <laughs> And so that e- after we first started the series, I was laying on the couch that evening, and Summer was in the other room, and the kids were in front of me, they couldn't see me, and all of a sudden, I'm laying on the couch doing these leg lifts. <laughs> it's like, how long can I hold it? <laughs> but ask me how much core work I did the next day, <laughs> or that week, or since that day. So that may have done me some good in that moment, but long term, how good did that little couch workout <laughs> to me. It's the same with this and all the things that we've been talking about in this series. We have to keep doing them with consistency because it's so easy for us to fall back into old habits if we don't remain mindful. It's, we have to stay in his presence and do it. Um, so at the end of January, I got laid off from my job. And over the next two weeks after that happened, I applied for about 100 jobs. I started a business. I cleaned out my closet. I watched two seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation before deciding I wanted to go back chronologically from the beginning and watch the season of Star Trek Enterprise. And it wasn't too long before my wife Summer was looking at me saying, you're acting like a crazy person. (laughs) She looked at me and said, go for a walk, spend some extended time with Jesus. Because rather than deal with the things I was feeling about losing my job, I was defaulting to busyness and distraction. It's good to work hard. God gave us creative minds where we can create compelling forms of entertainment. There's nothing wrong with that. But I was using those things to distract from my pain rather than bringing it to God. So I did a lot of walking and I did a lot of talking to God and talked to him about the fear I was feeling, about how it was making me feel, and about my identity and security. And I was able to put my trust in him, knowing that he loves me and that he loves my family and that my identity is not rooted in my job. And I came back down to just a normal level of crazy. And everything was going well. And then last Friday, I'm sitting at home in this feeling of panic starts to kind of bubble up within me. And before I know it, I'm firing off a ton of emails. I'm a nervous wreck, terrible to be around the entire night. Next day, Saturday, Summer wakes up sick. I'm thinking to myself, we don't have insurance. You can't afford to be sick right now. But I didn't have time to think about it. I get Evie, take her to the cow town where I lose her. Thank you, Sarah McCain, for helping me find her eventually. Then I rush back home, get cleaned up, grab a light, Elijah has a concert at Bass Hall, so we rush out to Bass Hall, get home, get the kids situated, get summer taken care of, and I should have been working on my sermon at that point, but that requires sitting and thinking, which didn't feel like a safe bet at that point, so I watch something until I'm so tired that I can fall straight to sleep. Now, y'all see what's going on here, but I'm a little slow on the uptake. (laughs) So, So Sunday morning, we get up, we come here, I'm in worship, Evie's sitting next to me, and I look down, and she just has this sad look on her face, like super sad. And y'all know, if y'all know Evie, she walks around bubbly and happy, and 
And so I bent down and I asked her, hey, what's wrong? What's wrong, baby girl? And she said, I'm, I miss mommy. I don't want mommy to be sick anymore. Now, some of y'all know that over the last 10 years, my wife has struggled with a chronic illness where there have been times that she's been incapacitated and hardly can get out of bed. And that's been particularly hard on Evie, not being able to connect with her mom during those seasons. And so she tells me that, and I look down at her, and I think, oh, sweetheart, why are we in this place again? And it's not till that moment right there that I think God's probably been looking down on me and saying the exact same thing all weekend long. Oh, sweetheart, why are we in this place again? And so I've been down, and as a loving but imperfect father, I comforted her. And together, we brought her mom and our fears to a loving and perfect father. This isn't a snap your fingers in your holy now situation. All of us who are followers of Jesus are in various stages of sanctification, where, which is why we have to practice abiding in him, inviting him into every moment, into every hurt, every fear, every decision, until our, our default becomes god is good, and I can trust him with this. And when we trust him with our trouble, what is he going to do with it? We need to remember we worship a God who just, who doesn't leave us in our pain. Instead, he came and joined us in it. He experienced it. He took it on himself. He is not a God who is distant. He is a God who draws near and he comforts us. 2 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 3, says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. So he comforts us, but that also points to the other thing he does when we come to him with our pain. So he redeems it. God is so good that he takes a situation meant to harm us and he brings something good from it. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. How many of you have been through something really hard in your life and then after you came out the other side of it, you encounter someone going through a similar situation and because you've been there, you can truly empathize with them. You are not able, you're able to not just weep for them, but weep with them and tell them about the goodness of God. In James 1, starting verse 2, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God redeems our pain by using it to grow steadfastness or endurance within us. And we're not talking about a situation here where it's like, You're going to endure this punch to the gut so you can endure a harder punch to the gut later, right? That's not what he's saying to us. There are some things in life that are really good things but are really hard, right? But when we've brought our troubles before the Lord, he can take those hard situations, he can take those pains to prepare us for good things in our future based on the endurance and wisdom we've gained through our trials. Everybody go ahead and stand up. Worship and ministry teams come forward. Now, I want you to notice too that it says, let steadfastness have its full effect. 
which implies that you can choose not to. You can choose to let your troubles make you bitter instead of better. You can choose not to learn anything from them. You can choose to live a life in despair, but that's not what God wants for you. That's not to say we don't grieve and we don't groan. We live in between the inauguration of the kingdom and the culmination of the kingdom, so we still feel the effects of the fall. And in a fallen world, world, there are grievous things that happen and we should respond appropriately. But we're not meant to live there. And we're not meant to do it as people without hope. Because we know that God, our comforter, didn't only come near, that when he did, he took all sin and all pain upon himself and took it with him into death. But three days later, he came bursting forth having conquered death, having commandeered it for his purposes to restore us to the Father. And because of that, we look forward to a day when he comes again and when this kingdom comes in its fullness where all things are made new, where all things are made right, where there is no fear, where there is no pain. If you're here this morning and you've never known the love of Jesus, if you've never heard the invitation that he has to you, We invite you to come this morning and pray with somebody and learn what that looks like. And if you're here this morning and you're dealing with pain, you're dealing with stress, we'd love to pray with you about that. We'd love to help you come before the Father. We'd help you to come to Jesus and pray about that situation. Bring his comfort into that situation and his redemption. If you need prayer for any reason at all, we invite you to come now as we sing together. Your glory, God, is what I 
this morning with a blessing so if you hold out your arms to receive it may you be people that see the goodness of God all around you in every leaf and every tree and every smile and because of that revelation maybe you be quick to run to his arms go in peace Amen.